today on Ag News Daily. Farmers are looking for other options out there, looking for alternatives uh, with the price of inputs going out there and the, the revenue in farming. The risk is higher, and so farmers and lenders have to be cognizant of that. Listeners, February 22nd, Wednesday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney here. How you doing, Delaney? I'm good. How are you, Tanner? Good. We got school canceled today, so uh, oh. we're shuffling kids around. But other than that, we're good. Is it because of weather? Impending weather, yes. We've got uh, nothing on the ground, nothing coming from the sky, but uh, we are part of the National Weather Service's long string of winter weather advisories that go from California to Maine. There's more than 13 million people, Delaney, included in this weather warning. I know where you're at, you're probably experiencing a little nicer conditions. Blizzard warnings are in effect for 1.3 million of those 13 million people. There could be some areas getting one to two feet of snow. Of course, that's in the western mountain range area. Gusts of 50 to 60 miles per hour winds in the high plains up in our area, maybe even up to 80, according to the National Weather Service. Uh, We continue to see here parts South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota have the brunt of this storm heading their direction and wind chills could be as low as minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So it sounds like if you're a listener of ours, you're probably going to get some weather today. But they canceled school ahead of weather. They did today. Yep. It was uh, even two and a half hours ago we got our notification. Uh, But yes, we're probably going to get less snow and more possible chances for ice here in central Iowa. All right. Well, that's interesting. And hopefully your girls enjoy their day at home, Tanner. <laughs> they probably will. Uh, I don't know about mom and dad, but they probably yes. will just love it. Well, Tanner, the Black Sea Grain Initiative comes up for renewal in March, which is, of course, the uh, also known as the Grain Corridor Initiative and has largely been supported by countries such as Turkey, Ukraine and Russia and spearheaded largely by the United Nations. But negotiations for an extension will begin officially this week. We are seeing those talks complicated by Ukrainian accusations that Russia is delaying inspection of these ships, which we've talked about on the podcast before, or perhaps not delaying them altogether, but certainly taking their time to inspect ships as they come in and out of the ports. We're also seeing rumors suggest that Ukraine will ask Turkey and the United Nations to start talks to roll over the Black Sea grain deal and seeking an extension of at least one year that would include some additional ports that aren't currently included in the Black Sea grain initiative, including Mykolaiv, which is one of the major ports that was not included in the grain deal, Tanner, but the agreement does expire as of right now on March 18th. So hopefully a formal extension is granted and I'm sure Ukraine wants to see it happen as long as possible, but it's only time will tell what Russia is going to want for this deal. Yeah, it is uh, quite interesting. There's a lot of articles around what you discussed. Uh, Obviously the Ukrainian side, uh, what China's trying to pledge is their peace treaty discussion in front of the United Nations. There's going to be a big meeting on Friday. 
almost one year exactly after Putin mm-hmm. invaded Ukraine. You know, Zelensky here is stating that he's got his own peace formula. So it'll be interesting to come out and find where and what this meeting on Friday will actually entail, or if it's going to end up being a, dis- a distraction from physical warfare uh, between the two countries, as there are reports that there could be some launched campaigns during that time period. But it just it looks interesting. Of course, analysts are breaking out the two different plans coming out of Ukraine, coming out of China. Uh, it looks like there are multiple facets in which things are are not going to be beneficial to Ukraine coming out of the Chinese plan. Uh, but then Ukraine obviously is more in favor of their own because of uh, a lot higher measures there. You know, it looks like measures of guaranteeing nuclear safety, ensuring exports of grain, uh, releasing all war prisoners, uh, preventing aside and future conflict, confirming that the end of the war is over with signed documentation. So we mentioned to see here if we have more to report on Friday. Yeah. And to add fuel to that fire, we know that President Putin was meeting with President Xi this week in Russia. And on Wednesday, President President Putin released a statement saying that their relations have reached, quote, new frontiers amid uh, U.S. concerns that Beijing could provide material support such as weapons or nuclear support, even perhaps to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Sounds like the U.S. has been pretty straightforward with China saying that if they do offer any sort of military or um, arms support to Russia, things would not look good between the two countries. But President Putin welcomed China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, to the Kremlin. And it sounds like, Tanner, they are moving forward with some bilateral trade agreements that would be expected to reach about $200 billion a year. So they are very excited to continue discussions there, but that does not paint a pretty picture for the U.S. and China relations. No, it doesn't. And we reported last week on the USDA's projection of our exports shrinking by 12% over the next three years. Now the USDA has put out their report on the size of American farms. The largest farms with sales of a million dollars or more are now nearly 26% of the U.S.'s farmland operators. That is six percentage points higher than a decade ago. Although the number of farms has changed very little, the size of them continue to grow. So the USDA estimates that there were two, little over 2 million farms in 2022, nearly a decline of a half a percent since 2012. So not a large shift in the number of farms. However, only 88 Point six thousand, so eighty-eight six hundred and sixty farms, or three point nine percent of that total figure have sales of a million dollars or greater. I had expected that to be higher, Delaney, but a decade ago, three percent of farms fit in that category. So nearly a percentage gain there. The most interesting factor that I had saw here out of this report is that. Half of the United States farmland is held by farms with less than $10,000 a year in ag sales. I would have expected Delaney that to be a little bit higher, but of course we've got a lot of uh, farms that probably go idle as far as those are concerned. 
but less than 10,000 was a bit of a surprise for me. The average farm size now in 2022 is 446 acres, only up an acre from the year before. Um, but it is quite interesting to see as the number of farms has declined since the depression where it peaked at 6.8 million. And like I said here, we're down to only a little over 2 million farms now, according to the USDA. Well, Tanner, one thing that could also shrink moving forward is Iowa's ethanol production. According to a new report put out by the Decision Innovative Solutions, which is a West Des Moines related economic consultant, third party company, it looked like on their website, they work with quite a few ag groups, including quite a few commodity organizations, biodiesel, uh, the local Iowa Renewable Fuels Association and other agricultural groups. But according to their report that they recently put out, they're suggesting that if Iowa Iowa's ethanol plants are not able to see a pipeline put into place within the next few years. Iowa could lose out on $10.3 billion a year in ethanol production. I did not see if they have any research or contributors to their initiatives that are working hand in hand with the pipeline. But by their accounts, Tanner, they said that Iowa ethanol plants could lose close to that $10.3 billion over the next decade without access to those three proposed carbon capture pipelines, which would be a catastrophic hit to the state's economy, as well as obviously farmers, both livestock and crop farmers, Tanner. They said that lost ethanol production could cut about a billion bushels of local demand annually for Iowa corn growers. And that uh, by all accounts, the pipeline really is kind of the path forward here to keep ethanol booming in the state of Iowa. Yeah, definitely to look at the competitive side of the renewable fuel industry. Yeah, it's certainly a concern, but farmers have, according to the latest polls, continued to raise concern about rising input prices. A majority as results of this poll have their inputs locked in for 2023 already. This is higher than average in historical survey reporting. Farmers have their 2023 input needs majority covered. 45% of the respondents are stating that higher input prices, higher input prices were their top concern and the reason for having so much booked so early in the year. The results from this here state that 76% of farmers have locked in more than 80% of their seed needs. 62% have locked in more than 80% of their fertilizer needs. And nearly 60% have locked in nearly 80% or more of their chemical needs. So well over half of the agricultural group labeled as farmers have locked in almost all of their seed, fertilizer, and chemical needs, Delaney, which makes it interesting to see what these market movements are doing in the fertilizer market, if that actually has much of an effect on agriculture, or if farmers will just be looking at what 2024 may bring and begin locking in inputs early for that growing year. So the survey results here state there's not a lot of inputs left to buy from a majority of United States farmers. Well, Josh Linville, who is Stonex's managing director of fertilizer, said recently, Tanner, in reference to specifically fertilizer costs at the Northern Corn and Soy Expo in Fargo, that he expects spring fertilizer prices to be more stable than last year. 
with supply chain issues subsiding for the most part. He said the important headline, though, to continue to watch that could be an indicator of moving otherwise would be the Russia and Chinese export levels, which will play a major role in providing fertilizer to the world. So it's important, going to be important to keep an eye on what's going on there. But by all accounts, like you're suggesting, a lot of farmers have locked in those input costs. And largely, it sounds like the input costs from the fertilizer side of things should hopefully uh, start to subside in those big movements that we've seen here over the last few years. Absolutely. Well, last little headline that I've got here is just some Morgan Stanley warnings around U.S. stocks hitting a potential stall out. We've complained, we've climbed to unsustainable highs is what Morgan Stanley strategists are telling us. And the Reserve, Federal Reserve's no pivot plan later this year could cause that to tumble. A lot of indicators out of coming out of the Federal Reserve's minutes are stating that they may set their peak target higher, which means 2023 will not see a stall out in rate hikes. Michael Wilson, the chief U.S. equity strategist for Morgan Stanley and longtime Wall Street trader, stated that we are entering a death zone, the name that has been used to describe an altitude that is so high that climbers do not have enough oxygen to breathe or return which is what he says stocks are doing, Delaney. So he suggests that the S&P 500 could tumble more than, could tumble to 3,000 points within months, down nearly 26% from where their current levels are at. He suggests using his mountain climbing terminology, it's time to head back to base camp before the next guide down in earnings. But hopefully our commodities aren't trading if that same sentiment, Delaney, how do markets look today? Markets are definitely trading a little bit lower today here, Tanner. And after we saw yesterday's pop in the soybean markets, they're not giving up all of those gains quite yet, but are trading to the downside here at the open. March soybeans down three and three quarter cents here at the open at 15.45. No new crop beans down four pennies to open at 13.95. March corn down about two and a half cents on the day at 6.78. Dece corn down two pennies right at the opening bell at 5.94 and a half. Hard red winter wheat today down 13 and a quarter cent at the open to here at 8.91. In the livestock markets, we are seeing actually positive trade today as the April live cattle contract is up about 45 cents here at the open at a buck 65.10. March feeders adding 35 cents at the open at a dollar 86.87. And May lean hogs, $2.77 higher at 97.17 and a half. Well, Tanner, for today's interview, let's kick it over to TJ Wilson with Farmers Business Network. Some exciting news clock in the other day with Farmers Business Network as they are expanding their digital offerings for farmers. We're chatting today with TJ Wilson, the Director of Sales with FBN Finance. TJ, super excited to chat with you today. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. So, TJ, we have been watching the FBN story really kind of since things got started here, and it's been a long but interesting journey for FBN. Yeah, uh, FBN's about nine years old here, and we've we've definitely grown a lot in that time and added a lot of product offerings that we feel like are the benefit of farmers. 
Absolutely. And, and part of that, I assume, would be why you guys decided to expand some of the digital offerings you have and now offer some financing. Tell us about the decision behind that. Yeah, what we really saw is a lot of consolidation in the ag lending space, uh, especially with banks. And so we were hearing from our producers and our members that they were looking for other options out there. And so we really dove into exploring what financing offering may look like uh, for our farmers and our producers and launched that just around three years ago. And I've seen a lot of opportunity since then. And so for those farmers that are not familiar with the financing arm of Farmers Business Network, how does that work? Are farmers able to get any type of loan product through FBN? Yeah, we're going to offer a lot of your traditional products, uh, your traditional real estate loans, the long-term fixed opportunities on those rates, uh, traditional revolving operating loans as well, and equipment financing. Uh, we've all also launched some proprietary products for FBN uh, as far as a co-investment option uh, and our new bridge loan product that recently launched. Yeah, tell us more about that bridge loan product that recently launched, because that was kind of the headway that made some news the other day. Yeah, what we really see is, you know, the ag real estate space is very competitive. Uh, farmers have to be ready to act quickly and, and act as cash buyers, uh, even though land values are up and it takes a lot of capital to be able to purchase those. They have to be able to act very quickly. So we also just bridge loan product to allow them to act as cash buyers and be able to close on loans and make offers very quickly and very competitively to keep them competitive in the space. And TJ, as far as the trend for ag lending and ag finance goes, what are you guys seeing from your perspective? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's very regionally focused, but you know, what we've seen is obviously we've grown a lot over the years. So farmers are looking for other options out there, looking for alternatives uh, with the, the price of inputs going out there and the, the revenue in farming, the risk is higher. And so farmers and lenders have to be cognizant of that. And sometimes lenders just get a little bit more risk averse uh, as those dollars get bigger. So farmers and producers are always going to be looking for other options to be able to get the capital they need. And so when you look at FBN, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, there's lots of your traditional lenders out there, farm credit services, traditional banks. What makes FBN's program or offerings different from others in this space? Well, I think what, what makes FBN different is this is all we do. Uh, all we do is agriculture. Uh, we're really built around a farmer's first mentality and the products that we have built are strictly for farmers and producers. So we built out a lot of digital tools that enable them to get access to their capital they need uh, and do it in a timely fashion without having to go into a bank or a brick and mortar location to be able to sit down with a lender. And TJ, I'm assuming that there's probably a lot of confidential data around the loan products, but can you give us an estimate of how many farmers currently are using some of these financial services that FBN offers? Yeah, as we recently launched uh, during our press release here, you know, we've committed over a billion dollars in funds uh, to over 1,700 farmers nationwide. So we've we've got a great pool of customers here. We've seen a lot of growth in that book of business and hopefully continue to see that growing as we move forward. Do you see any particular areas geographically that have been uh, more hot when it comes to these loan type of products? No, I wouldn't say there's any specific area. Uh, you know, we've done loans in, in a lot of different areas of the country, uh, pretty wide geography. So it really depends on what the local market and what the competitive nature of that local market looks like for them uh, and what lenders they have there. So we have seen that our products have pretty much transcended across the country and we've seen a lot of opportunities there. 
Now, TJ, I saw recently you uh, did an interview with Kevin McNew, uh, chief economist there, talking about inflation as it relates to rising agricultural interest rates. What's your outlook here for 2023? Yeah, so Kevin and I actually talked a couple of weeks ago as well uh, after the jobs number came out and after the Fed made their recent move. So, you know, we anticipate rates are going to stay, you know, fairly high throughout 23 here. Uh, might see some more increases with a solid jobs number that came out. The Fed may try to stamp this out a little bit more to keep inflation in check. So, you know, it's anybody's guess what the Fed's going to do and, and how the economy is going to react. But we anticipate things are going to stay high here for at least the next 12 months. And as you're working with farmers, helping with some of those financial plans and putting together different options for producers, what are you sharing as far as planning ahead for 2023? I think the key factor in planning ahead for any operation is is understanding what your financial position is and what your goals are uh, over the next year. So typically working capital is fairly strong in a lot of operations right now. So making sure that you have that in check, uh, understanding what your capital needs are going to be over the next 12 to 18 months to be able to put your balance sheet in a position to make that happen uh, with inputs rising. Uh, and commodity prices staying fairly steady, you know, cash flows and break evens are going to be a critical part of that. I know our break even is definitely a lot higher than it was year over year. And so there's, it makes that risk management plan going to be ever more important. And TJ, as we look at kind of where we're at economically here, obviously we continue to see higher interest rates and that can be challenging, but we're still seeing quite a large amount of farmland purchases still happening. So for those farmers that are purchasing at these higher interest rates, higher levels, but are looking ahead to thinking about refinancing longer term, what tips and tricks do you have for those folks? Yeah, obviously, you know, when you have the opportunity to buy, farmers are going to take that opportunity uh, to acquire that land and put them in a position to be able to grow um, and take control of that. So there's always going to be opportunities to refinance in the future. So what we're seeing a lot of producers doing right now is taking advantage of maybe some shorter term variable rates uh, with the anticipation that rates are going to drop over sometime over the next three to five years and put them in a position to refinance that at a lower rate, lower fixed rate at that point in time. TJ, before I let you go, we've talked about a lot of the different loan products, financial products that FBN offers. If any of our listeners have questions and want to check this out for themselves, where's the best place to go? Yeah, visit FBN.com. So obviously a lot of information is there. We've got a financing page on FBN.com that will link to our team page as well. Give an overview of of who we are and, and who my lenders are that are spread across the country, as well as all of our product offerings and how they can contact us. Fantastic, TJ. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time. Thank you. Dinner, we recorded this interview just before we got the big news that FBN's CEO has officially stepped down and been replaced by a former board member. Yeah, absolutely. Some big news there. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out and if any direction for FBN changes. It will be interesting indeed, Tanner. We'll be sure to stay abreast of those changes here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 